just a reminder, I record these things. You can get them on podcast uh, or our website. If you have problems in the week, uh, please just let me know. Um, we, we'll figure it out. We're small enough that you can call the pastor directly. All of you here have what I like to call a gold membership. You have exclusive access to the pastor, uh, his thoughts, uh, pre-release stuff, you know, just really, it's a good, it's a good thing, gold membership. So um, when I record these things, it really is for you because I am expecting if you're a regular that you'll have the context, which is especially important as we study the book of Romans. Uh, always important as we study the scriptures, but especially with the argument the, the apostle builds here in Romans. So Romans 1 this morning, verses 14 to 16. Before we read it, I want you to think about an invitation that you might receive. Have you ever received an invitation to go someplace? Like for me, the fantasy invitation for me. Hey, Mark, uh, we want you and a couple of your good buddies to go fishing for peacock bass in Colombia. We're going to pay you to get there. You don't even have to go with us. You get to choose whoever you want to go. And, and when you're there, you're going to get the greatest food and a great guide. Um, and and we, we would just love to do that for you. I don't know what it is for you. Um, my wife's here, so she would, of course, go with me. That would be the first invite. She would reluctantly go with me with a bug spray. But what's your trip? I've had it happen before, maybe not that elaborate, but I've had a buddy call me and say, hey, we're going fishing for a week in Canada. Can you go? And before I looked at my calendar, I said, yes, I can go. Do you need to look at your calendar? No, I don't. I can go. Oh, and then I looked at my calendar and I thought, okay, how do I get out of this, 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 this? Right? Because um, in, in my mind, it was this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and, uh, and, and everything else uh, I could fit in, I could cover, I could, I could take care of. Now, I'm saying that to you because the apostle uses a word in this text that he starts out with, and it's a, it's a powerful emotional word. He uses the word obligation. And he says, I am obligated. So if I was asked to go on that trip, and I'm a, I'm a 57-year-old, uh, fairly reliable man, I would say, let me check my calendar, right? Let me see what I'm obligated to. Uh, if it was a trip I didn't want to go to, I would take other obligations more seriously, wouldn't I? Hey, pastor, you want to come uh, to something <laughs> that I may not want to come to? Oh, man, I would really love to, but uh, I've, actually, I've actually got on my schedule that I'm going to sit at home in my chair that day, <laughs> right? You would look at your obligations, and you would adjust it, and you would say, boy, this is, this is most important. And so the apostle here uses this word, obligation. Now, it is a result of what we've seen earlier. It's a result of himself saying, I am a person who has been called by God. I have been separated from a false religion. I've been given uh, this gospel. I, I have uh, a longing to see all of you who are in Rome, 
I want, I want to see you face to face. I want to get to worship with you face to face. This afternoon I get to preach in Bentonville. And I'm looking forward to, I'm going to sit with a whole bunch of believers that I've never met before. And we'll share something in common. And we'll sing songs together. And we'll worship our God together. And we'll take the sacrament. I'll take it twice. I'll take it today. I'll take it now. And I'll take it then. And I'm longing to do that. I'm looking forward to it. And the apostle says, I can't wait for that to happen. It's so much better than catching peacock bass in Colombia to go and be with you. And so that's our context, and uh, that's where we pick up. So verse 14 of chapter 1, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. There's three emotional words in this text, at least three. Uh, obligation, eager. Uh, I am obligated, I am eager, and I'm not ashamed. Uh, three kind of emotional words that describe his personality, his relationship to these believers in Rome. Uh, these, these emotional words speak to um, his commitment what is he committed to as a person? What is the, uh, so if I was to say yes to go on a trip, it's because I've, I'm committed to me. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm more committed to me than these appointments that I have. I'm more committed to me than something that brings me pleasure and joy uh, than I am to any of you. So yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll do this. Um, this is pointing to what the apostle is committed to. And it goes back again to his salvation. I was separated from this religion. I've been given this charge. I've received this gospel of God. And because of that, because of my commitment to the gospel, because of believing and receiving and accepting uh, and becoming this uh, apostle, I now have uh, obligations. So um, I, I think that that may be the question for you to answer at the end of the day. What are my commitments? What, what, what am I committed to, and, and how does that obligate me to certain things? Um, what is it, how does it make me passionate, or as he said, eager for things? Um, how, am I ashamed of this gospel? It's interesting, when we planted the church in Southern California, we had a little sandwich board sign uh, outside of the building that we were renting, and a, a couple came in, a young couple came in one Sunday, um, and... Uh, you can kind of tell they were just tracking. They, they loved everything. They loved the music. They loved the sermon. And afterwards, they came up. And they were enrolled in, a, uh, I think at the time, the largest evangelical seminary in the United States. And um, he said, can I have lunch with you this week? And I said, sure. You know, that's, that's great. Someone comes and visits and wants to have lunch with the pastor. I'm like, man, that's great. Um, 
I had lunch with him, and he says, I'm, I'm enrolled in this seminary, and um, my, one of my first classes was a class on mission, missions. And a speaker was, was explaining some things, and a student put their hand up and said, this would be really, really helpful uh, in aiding our evangelization of Muslims. And he said, the speaker got onto that student saying, why do you feel the need to evangelize Muslims? Why do you think you're better than Muslims? And you could tell in this, this young man's face, he would, I'm, I'm going to prepare for ministry. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> am, I, am I not going to an evangelical seminary to learn more about our God, our gospel, to be able to answer objections, to, to, to work on my apologetics, um, to have a good, firm foundation so that I can spread the gospel? And, and he just he looked at me and he goes, that, that's what we're supposed to do, right? And I said, yes, Absolutely. That's what we're supposed to do. A few years after that, <coughs> uh, had a, a, a family whose uh, son and his new wife were going on the mission field. And they were going on the mission field into one of those countries where they can't tell you where they are. Maybe you've received some of those emails before. Or you've talked to people like, you can't share this email. You can't share this prayer because uh, what I'm doing in that country is illegal. We could get thrown in prison. We could get killed. Uh, so we, as a church, were sending off this young man and his wife. The young man's mother came to me in tears and said, please, please, pastor, have them go somewhere else. There's got to be places in the U.S. where they can serve. He doesn't need my son. I don't want him to go to a dangerous place. Both of these stories speak to an indwelling commitment, don't they? And trust, right? I, I, I mean, if you've had a child, if you love a child, you've felt that. Never forget the first time my son Jordan took off with Luke and Anna in the car. And they drive off, and I'm looking at them, I'm like, I know it's not supposed to be this way, but God, there goes my world. There they go. They're all in one vehicle, and one is an 18-year-old. Oh, no. Um, the apostle is saying at the core of his being, the gospel of God stands as the bright star, the shining path, his everything. And because of that, he has this obligation. Because of that, he has this passion. Because of this, he is not ashamed. Uh, so let's look at those kind of three words as we work our way through this text. The first... Um, uh, the sermon in sense this morning that the gospel of God, it directs a Christian's obligations, a Christian's passions and confidence. The gospel of God directs that. Uh, it is not the gospel of God enables us to direct God toward our passions, toward our dreams, 
uh, to fulfill what we want. It is his gospel, then it changes it. And, and this obligation, passion, confidence. First is obligation. So verse 14. Now there are two types of ways that someone is obligated. And if you all have the, the Romans companion from Stott, he talks about this as do just about every other commentator, that we are obligated usually in one of two ways. Um, either we borrow something from someone, and so some of your uh, translations will say, I'm indebted to, I owe a debt to, um, I am obligated to. We either borrow something, I owe you something. So Clayton has some of my cinch straps. He is obligated to bring them back to me. There's four of them, Clayton. They're black, they're matching, and I want them back. He's obligated to buy, he's borrowed something. He's good for it. I trust him with it. There's a second way to be obligated, right? And that is to have something to give to another person. I am giving you this in order. Can you give this to Tammy for me, Mark? Like, oh no, I'll try. I have an obligation now. I feel it until it's done and then I'm relieved. It's that sense that the apostle is saying. The gospel of God is this beautiful message. It's what the world absolutely needs. It is the answer to the human condition. I've received it. It's this gift. Am I just to keep it for myself? Oh, mother who didn't want her son to go out. Is it okay for you to say, I just want this community for myself? It is wrong. It hasn't been entrusted to him. It is not his just to hold on. It's not just to keep us safe from the wrath of God. It is this gift that is to be shared. And that's what he says. Uh, maybe one of the best illustrations, and um, now that I've been here six years, I can retell some stories. You're like, dude, you started doing that two years ago. Second uh, Kings 6, siege of Samaria. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, about the 9th century B.C. The siege was so awful. The, the prophets had told them, this is what's going to happen if you turn from me. You'll be under siege. It's going to be so, so bad that mobs will eat their own children. The prophets said that it happened, and they still didn't repent. Then Elijah tells them, uh, Elisha tells them, uh, God is going to bring relief. He tells them, God's going to bring relief. Just so you know, it's coming from God. But there's this little story in 2 Kings 7. Um, about these beggars. I think there's three of these. They're, they're lepers, and so the, the, the city's under siege, so um, the, Assyrian, the Syrian army is all around the city, and the lepers are sitting outside the wall. And then they have this conversation with each other. And they say, hey, um, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we're going to die. There's no food. Let's just go to the camp of the Syrians. Let's just go. I mean, if they kill us, we're all dead already. But there could be a chance that there might be some food there. So the beggars go to the camp of the Syrians. In the meantime, God had sent this, this sound that convinced the Syrians that, uh, that the king had uh, uh, hired these conscripts and they were going to get wiped out. So the Syrians abandoned everything, got up and just ran in the middle of the night, the whole army gone. These beggars get to the camp. And it's like, what? It says they go and they eat. They go and they find gold and silver and clothing. They take it and they hide it. Now think about the, the beggars are on the outside of the wall. That city is saying to them, 
we don't want you, you're unclean, you don't belong here, we don't care if the Syrians kill you, better them than us. Uh, and so, the, like, like the lowest class of people find this relief. But this is what you read about in 2 Kings 7, verse 9. After they've had something to eat, and they've hidden some of the gold, they say, they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. There was this absolute understanding that this good news of salvation and life was not just for them. And even though the city they came from most likely hated them, didn't want anything to do with them, they're like, this abundance, we didn't earn it. It's been given to us by a gracious God. We must take it. And so it's in that sense that the apostle says, I'm under an obligation. It's not that I'm afraid of being punished. It's not that I'm trying to earn rewards. It is God has chosen me with this message of the gospel. Um, his obligation, and you'll find this is common also in Romans, this, uh, this joining, the power that the gospel has to um, take natural enemies and bring them together. And, and so he says, I'm under obligation uh, to Jews and barbarians. So in a sense, all people. Um, Three rivers, we are under obligations to who? Jews and barbarians. We are under obligation to sinners. That's who we're under obligation to. We have this good news of God. We've celebrated. We sing about it. We rest in it. We are under obligation. The apostle says the same thing. I'm under obligation now to Jews and barbarians. I'm under obligation to all nations. I'm, I'm under obligation, he goes on further to say, to the intelligent and the ignorant. Our obligation is not just to the smart, but it's also to the ignorant. Not just to the poor, but also to the rich. Who needs the gospel? Everyone needs the gospel. I'm obligated. It's great news. I can't, I should not keep it to myself. And because of that, he says, secondly, in verse 15, I am then eager. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What would you think if I wrote you a letter? Maybe before we studied Romans. If I wrote you a letter and said to you, um, hey, I, I want to come and visit with you. I want to have dinner with you um, because I want to preach the gospel to you. I guess most of you would say, hey, Rev, I know the gospel. <laughs> I know it. Thanks. Um, I heard it the 40th time you shared it. I, I got it. I know it. Um, I can actually teach it to other people. Thanks. Now, here's what's amazing. We know the context, right? We talk about the context. I am so eager, he says, to preach the gospel to you. Well, who is the you? We already know the you. The you, as he has said earlier, are those who belong to God, those who are beloved of God, those who are called to be saints, those who have received God's grace and God's peace, those who Paul himself expects to be benefited by. It's Christians he's saying this to. Hey, Christian people in Rome, the gospel wasn't just for your day of salvation. It is your very life. It is what helps you grow in Christ. It is what uh, secures you in the midst of struggle, struggle and trial. I'm so eager 
to preach it to you again. I'm so eager to hear it from you again. So he says, I'm going to preach it to you. It's not just the intellectual side. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. Uh, there's sometimes there's a, a crossover. But when the apostle uses preaching, he is saying, I am going to present something to you that should elicit a response. Not now I know how to get the square root of a negative number. That's good. Wonderful for you. We're excited. We're all very impressed. No, he's like, I, I am preaching this gospel to you. I'm going to preach it to you. Because when the gospel is preached and presented, the Spirit of God chips away at idolatry. The Spirit of God shows us once again we have allowed something slowly to creep into the place that only God belongs. The gospel brings with us that, again, that assurance of his love and his care. So I want to preach it to you. Uh, he is eager because the greater the news, the greater the eagerness. In fact, there is such a joy in, in a sense, being the first to present the gospel. It is the greatest joy I have as a pastor when I see the light click on, uh, when, I, when I see somebody that has reasoned it and it makes sense, when I see a soul freed, uh, not from some physical ailment, but from a spiritual ailment, from guilt, from shame, from fear, from anxiety. I am so eager because I have such great news. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew when he says the kingdom of God. And he has these parables of a great treasure and a pearl. And he says, in joy, the merchant sells all he's got. In joy. He is, he is so overwhelmed by the beauty of the kingdom of God and the gospel of God that he's like, what, what can I sell what, in, in order to attain it? I would give up anything to have it. Uh, he is eager because it is this gospel that is going to join together uh, the, the Roman and the Greek, the slave and the free, the rich and the poor. Um, think about this. You're the doctor who gets to tell the patient not just that the scans are clear, the tumor is gone. You're the doctor that gets to tell the patient you're cured. You'll, it'll never come back. You'll never have it again. That's the gospel that we get to share with human beings. I am the apostle who has been given the answer to your problems, all human beings, all of them. I am the apostle that has been given the gospel that's the answer to your loneliness. It's the answer to your defensiveness. That's the answer to your fears. That's the answer to your relational problems. That's the answer to your guilt and shame. That's the answer to your arrogance that you do desperately, do desperately fight for. Your irritability, the gospel's the answer. Fits of anger and rage, the gospel is the answer. Your despair, the gospel is the answer. And he encourages us in that same manner to preach Christ. A joyful, amazing task. The apostle will get to tell them that they are much more sicker than they even thought. They're much more needy than they ever would imagine. But the great surgeon is so much better than you could have hoped for.
am obligated and yet I am eager. My obligation doesn't make me reluctant. It makes me passionate. And then he says, here's why I'm so confident about it. Here's why I can be so eager about it. And these verses are probably thematic, at least for the first half of the book of Romans. He comes to verse 16. And I, I think I encourage you to always put 16 and 17 together. Um, many times people will just clip that piece. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, and, and oftentimes the gospel is just whittled down to the, I'm saved from hell. I mean, that's kind of the, the lowest common denominator in our culture. The gospel means I'm saved from hell. Uh, it is so much more than that. So he, here's my confidence. Here's his confidence. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. His confidence then is in the gospel and not in himself and not in his gifts. In fact, tradition would tell us that uh, Paul the Apostle was the least impressive figure you might ever meet. Um, they said he was, uh, well, he's just kind of dorky. And that's what they say in the ancient texts. He's kind of dorky. Uh, his gospel, his, his confidence, not in himself, it had changed him. He had been reborn with this new identity, new obligations, but also with a freedom and joy. And so he says, I'm not ashamed. You know what that means? That means he was tempted to be ashamed of it. We're all tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. He puts it out there. I'm not ashamed. Tempted to be ashamed. Tempted to hide it. Tempted to be ashamed when the record of other Christians goes all over social media. Are you tempted to be ashamed at that point? When leading Christian figures have colossal failure, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. I was tempted to be, but I'm not. John Stott writes in his commentary whenever the gospel is faithfully preached, it arouses opposition. Whenever, not just in our culture, in Rome, it aroused opposition, name-calling, persecution, kicked out of families, losing jobs. Uh, whenever the gospel is faithfully preached, it arouses opposition, often contempt and sometimes ridicule because it undermines self-righteousness and challenges self-indulgence. The gospel undermines our self-righteousness. It does that for every human being. Christian, non-Christian, we have self-righteousness. It's what allows us to sleep at night. It's what makes us think that people want to know us and like us because I'm a good person. I've accomplished this, I've accomplished that, and I'm better than these other folks. The gospel uh, confronts that and says, no, it's not enough. Uh, and so he is confident amidst persecution. He writes this in um, <clears throat> Galatians 3. I'm not ashamed because in Galatians 3, he, he, he tells the, the Jews believed that anybody who was hung on a tree was cursed. You probably heard that. Anybody who was hung on a tree was cursed. And so it became this stumbling block as he would present Christ to the Jews. They're like, wait, he was hung on a wooden cross. The Bible says... Anyone who's hung on a wooden cross is cursed by God. 
How can that be our Savior? And in Galatians 3.13, he says, yes, of course, anyone who's cursed, who's hung on a tree, he became the curse for us. I'm not ashamed that he was hung on a tree. I'm not ashamed of his death. In fact, I preach it boldly. In 1 Corinthians, he writes, and this is a church that doubted his authority. He says, I came to you. I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am not ashamed of the gospel, and we shouldn't be either. There's three quick things that I want to point out from this. First, he says, one of the reasons I'm not ashamed is it is God's power for salvation. Verse 16. The gospel is God's power for salvation. Um, it, it's period for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Um, five different times he talks when he presents the gospel, he puts this uh, this this beautiful reconciliation language: the Jew first, and then the Greek. The gospel is the power of God's salvation to anything that would divide us. The gospel demonstrates God's power for saving sinners fully, totally, eternally, delivering them from all evils, all accusers, and all principalities. There is no hope for anyone apart from it. There is no salvation apart from it. And there is no one it cannot save. Secondly, the gospel, he says, is a revelation, it's revealing God's righteousness. For in it, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. Tons of stuff written on what that means and what the next phrase means. Uh, we don't have time to get into all of that this morning, but suffice to say that the gospel shows God's holiness, right? I, I, I have a, a holy hatred of evil brokenness and sin uh, those who think you're upset at God because of horrible things that have happened know this our God has a righteous fury uh, against sins that have been committed against you and the sins you have committed his righteousness is revealed in the gospel his righteousness is revealed in the sacrament that, that God makes it right by purifying. Um, and, and so um, we also see in the gospel this beauty of who God is. What, is. what is right? What is holy? What is good? What should we pursue? What should life look like? Um, and, and thirdly, it's God's proposed way of living. Power for salvation, it is a revelation of his rightness, and it is a way of living. And so he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written. And so again, he is tying it to the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. And he'll get more into that when he talks about Israel in chapter 9, more into that when he talks about Abraham and how was Abraham saved. His point is saying this has always been this way. Salvation has come from God. It has been through his righteousness, and it has always been through faith. And so the Christian is to then live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to preach it to you. You've heard it a hundred different times. We're going to talk about deep things together, and as we talk about struggles and trials, we're going to weave it back into the gospel. 
We're going to do that, one for each other in our community, in our small groups, in our Sunday school. We're going to do that. We're going to recite and remind the gospel. You know your problem, Mark, is you've forgotten the gospel again. You know why you're so anxious, Kuiper, and worried about uh, is building a building, is raising money, is it going to split the church, is it going to make people not like me? You know why you're worried about that, Mark? Because you forget the gospel. You think that your standing depends on what people think of you. No, you forget the gospel. And so uh, in that gospel is a way of living, and it is a way of faith. I will trust in him, period. I will trust in his steadfast love. I will trust in his adoption of me. I will trust that his spirit lives in me. I will trust him above all others. And so the apostle says, I can't wait to share it with you. I can't wait for us to work through it together, to look at your specific situations in your life and point you to the gospel. So that leaves us this week. Ask yourself this question. What are my obligations? What am I passionate about? The things I feel I must have to live, are there things I feel like if they're gone, uh, if I lose this, I, 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 I won't want to live anymore? Um, how have I been ashamed of the gospel? What do my obligations reveal about my commitments? If I had to critically write out my own personal gospel, what would it look like? I've been ashamed of the gospel. I told some of you this story. There was a moment years ago when I was at a lube and oil place. And I had the jankiest of cars, I think. It's always been a thing for me. I just remember it just, just as a young kid. Like, even now, we were, we were at lunch the other day, and um, I had Madison's car, which is a Kia Rio. You know what that looks like? looks like a car that a college girl drives. Right? And you pull out, anybody at Patricia Island la yesterday? I mean, it was a, a truck convention, right? The bigger the truck, the bigger the man. I don't know. And I remember, I'm, 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 I'm at this lube place. I think it's getting Tammy's car lubed. When we just moved to California, I didn't know a soul. Some guy comes in, a shiny new car, sitting down next to me. He's like, hey, what do you do? I can make this, I think this complete fabrication. I just completely just tell him. I do all this stuff. I'm, I'm really, I'm a CEO of this, and blah, 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 blah. Basically tell him the story of a guy I know who's really successful. The car comes out of the lube, so I pull into the parking lot, and I just start weeping. My God, why am I so ashamed of your gospel? You know what happened? I had a dental work done, and a guy was pulling out a wisdom tooth, and he said, what are you here for? And I said, I'm here to plant a church. And he's like, where are you from? Well, I left Charlottesville, Virginia. And <laughs> the crankiest dentist in the world, he's like, what? Why would you leave that place to come here? You're, you're crazy. Were you kicked out? You know, just like that. What, what were you thinking? As he's pulling out my wisdom teeth. I believed that gospel for a moment. 
the other gospel I believed that uh, this man with a shiny car and all these great accolades that he was more of a man than me that he was more significant than me and I wept in my car and I said oh God how can I plant a church when I'm ashamed of your gospel how can I do this I'm so sorry for that moment I just wanted to hold on to something that will fade that will be gone I just I just needed to hold on to something other than Christ so it's offensive but we're not ashamed of it because it is our life let's pray oh Lord we thank you for your gospel we thank you for its power Father, I'm sure that there's some of us here who, like me at that moment, wondered, have I ever really gotten it? Why do I get so upset? <sighs> Lord, the beauty of your gospel is you love us not because we get your gospel. You love us and you gave your son for us not because we've figured it out and we are faithful people. You give us your son because you are faithful to a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people, to people who forget, to people who clang on to the next shiny thing that comes around. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Father, will you help us to feel this obligation, not, not in a way that brings guilt, but Father, as we as those beggars would say, in joy we have great news, and we'll go back to the city, and we will share it even if they kill us. What a way to go. Oh, help us, Father. Help us, Lord, also be patient with one another. Uh, there are times, Lord, in a, in a church, a, a people or even a group of people will, will seem to get it and resonate it, and then it becomes a, an act of self-righteousness on their part. Uh, sometimes, oh, Father, you know the, the Reformed people will, will, will come across as if, oh, boy, if you studied more, you'd be like us. And we give this message that, that we're closer to you because we know you better as opposed to we know the Savior and he's rescued us from ourselves. Help us now, Father, as we take this sacrament together to revel in the body and blood of your Son uh, that we might take and drink and eat and all, all shame would be gone that we would feel the obligation that good news gives us, an eagerness to share what our Savior has done for us, an eagerness to invite all those we know into a deeper, closer relationship with you. We thank you, Father, for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.